Welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Ritchie. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Break it down. News of the day. None other than Jackson White, co-founder, editor-in-chief of Politoscope, TYT Rebel HQ, creator, host of YouTube channel Politics and Paper. Should be a fascinating analysis as always. Top story of the day. Donald Trump, if elected again, says he will end citizenship, basically, for those who are U.S.-born citizens. This connects back to Black people being citizens in the United States as well. I will dissect the ways. All right, let's put it up. Donald Trump said on Tuesday that if elected president again in 2024, he will seek to end automatic citizenship for children born in the United States to immigrants in the country illegally. A plan that contradicts how a 19th century amendment to the U.S. Constitution long has been interpreted. Trump, who is, by the way, the front runner for president in the Republican primary, in an increasingly crowded field of candidates, said in a campaign video posted to Twitter that he would issue an executive order instructing federal agents to stop what is known as birthright citizenship. Any such action by Trump would be certain to draw a legal challenge. Now, what is Donald Trump saying he would do? Number one, he's saying he's willing to rush to the bottom. This is a rush to the bottom in order to excite the bigots inside of the Republican Party. Call it for what it is. Who gets excited over the idea of eliminating birth citizenship in the United States of America? You're born born on American soil, you are an American, period. Who wants to get rid of that? Individuals who are bigoted. Let me talk also to the Republicans who are going to be silent knowing that is wrong. You're part of the problem. You see, in multiple states, they're already trying to eliminate things like the Black Caucus in the Republican Party, the Hispanic Caucus in the Republican Party. Do you see what they're doing? They're dismantling, not the caucus, they're dismantling your position to actually affect policy. Birthright citizenship arises from the Constitution's 14th Amendment, which was ratified in 1868, three years after the conclusion of the American Civil War that ended the practice of enslaving black people in Southern states. And it overturned a Supreme Court ruling that held that slaves and free African Americans were not entitled to U.S. citizenship. That's your connection back to black people in America. The amendment granted citizenship to all persons born or naturalized in the United States, including formerly enslaved people, and has been interpreted to apply whether or not parents were in the country legally. There's more. Passed by Congress June 13, 1866, and ratified July 9, 1868, 
the 14th Amendment extended liberties and rights granted by the Bill of Rights to the state's three amendments as part of its reconstruction program to guarantee equal civil and legal rights to, once again, black citizens. A major provision of the 14th Amendment was to grant citizens to all persons born or naturalized in the United States, thereby granting citizenship to formerly enslaved people. Let me make the connection here. If Donald Trump is able to successfully do this, if there is some type of legal doctrine agreed to by the powers that be, what is to stop this nation, to stop this madman from applying it to the original design in the first place? Meaning that black people in the United States were not considered citizens. He's utilizing the same linear constitutional knowledge or proclamation that was utilized back then to justify this. Another equally important provision was the statement that nor shall any, any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law or deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of those laws. The right to due process of law and equal protection of the law now applied to both federal and state governments. Once again, does it unravel the reality of due process and the protections given to everyone, uh, supposedly, who's in America? There's more. The special counsel investigating former President Donald Trump in efforts to cling to power after he lost the 2020 election has now subpoenaed the staff members from the Trump White House. This is a big development and it is connected. I will explain. The subpoena goes to members from the Trump White House who may have been involved in firing the government cybersecurity official whose agency judged the election the most secure in American history, according to two people briefed on the matter. Let's put up, we have up Jack Smith. The team is being led by him. He is special counsel. He has been asking witnesses about the events surrounding the firing specifically of Christopher Krebs, who was the Trump administration's top cyber security official during the 2020 election. According to his assessment, the election was secure. That was at odds with the narrative, the false narrative presented by Trump and his allies. Mr. Smith's team is also seeking information about how the White House, including in the presidential personnel office, approached the Justice Department with Trump which Trump turned to after his election loss as a way to try to stay in power. People familiar with the question said, the investigators appeared, uh, appear focused on Mr. Trump's state of mind surrounding the firing, as well as establishing a timeline of events leading up to the attack on the Capitol by pro-Trump mob on January 6, 2021. The latest subpoenas issued roughly two weeks ago went to officials in the personnel office, according to the two people familiar with the matter. Now I'm going to connect the dots here. Donald Trump 
is going to continue to say the most sensational, outrageous, bigoted, racist things you can imagine. He's willing to end birthright citizenship. He's willing to actually dine, have dinner with proud, proclaimed white supremacists. He gives no apology for these things. And now these subpoenas, they have gone forward. He's going to get worse. He's attempting to create such a stir inside of the Republican Party that the elements against him as it relates to these various investigations will all simply be categorized as a witch hunt, but it is not. There's evidence, there's conspiracy, there's malfeasance, there's felonies that have been committed by the former president of the United States. Now, why does he think he can successfully do this? Because he did it before. See, he has realized that many in the Republican Party are actually weak. Let me say that again. Many in the Republican Party are actually weak. Now, they walk around with bravado as if they are strong, as if they are somehow a man's man, but they have allowed one man to universally define what and who they are without pushback because they are afraid. Mike Pence is afraid. Mitch McConnell is afraid. Ted Cruz is afraid. Rubio is afraid. They're scared. Trump knows this. Even, even Ron DeSatan is afraid to a degree because they know Trump can, let's say, animate certain members of the GOP to come at them. Now, while those members may be in the minority numerically, they are stronger than those who are not because they're willing to be loud, to be bold, and to be aggressive. Trump knows this about his people. All right, we'll follow as it develops. Dear brother, what are your thoughts? Well, I think uh, you made two very important points. And the first one was the race to the bottom. And, uh, you know, here we're talking about uh, Trump eliminating birthright citizenship. But he also mentioned that if he was reelected, that he would reinstate the Muslim travel ban. And then you have people like Ron DeSantis, who is the, you know, the, the second uh, person in the race in the Republican primary, far behind Trump, but nonetheless second, you know, saying that if he gets into office, then he's going to uh, repeal the First Step Act, which Trump actually put into place, which, you know, was one of the few things that you could nod your head at that uh, happened under his administration. But, you know, really thinking about what that would mean, you know, just taking away uh, people's uh, one of the things the first step back was give people uh, easier access to rehabilitating themselves in the job market. Things like that, taking that away from people, which also hurts the economy and how self-defeating so many of these Republican moves are. But also you pointed out that um, there's no reason to think that Trump wouldn't uh, do whatever he could uh, to repeal the 14th Amendment or change it in some type of way or take away birthright citizenship um, because he's done what he wants to do before and Republicans are doing that now. They took a, they reversed Roe v. Wade state by state. They're passing the six-week abortion bans. They're doing everything they can to make it more difficult to vote. Um, we're seeing this happen in real time. Um, so while this may alienate uh, a certain portion of the voting base, like independents or swing voters at the same time, we know uh, that you don't need to win by popular vote in this country. That's right, that part. South Carolina store clerk, store owner, shoots, 
kills a 14-year-old child, shoots him in the back, put up the picture for a mask. A 14-year-old black child is dead after being shot in the back by the owner of a Shell gas station in Columbia, South Carolina. Cyrus Carmack Belton was killed by 58-year-old Rick Chow after being falsely accused of stealing bottles of water. Chow was the owner of the Shell gas station on Park Lane Road, and he and his son chased Cyrus out of the store at approximately 8 p.m. on May 28th. I want you to let that sink in. A father-son duo chase a young black kid, shoot him in the back. Does it sound familiar to you? According to WIS News, Chow chased Iris from the store because he assumed, he assumed the kid had taken water and shot him in the back following the chase. Chow's son reportedly told his father that the teenager was armed. Deputies allegedly found a firearm near the body following the shooting. It is in dispute right now if that firearm even belonged to the child. Now, here's what we know for sure, okay? A child is dead, a child was running away, and here's what the announcement was from the police. The owners of the convenience store suspected him of shoplifting. He did not shoplift anything. We have no evidence that he stole anything whatsoever. There was a verbal confrontation inside the convenience store. Um, the victim went outside. He took off running. Um, the son of the owner of the convenience store gave chase. The father who owns the convenience store joined in the chase. He was armed with a pistol. They chased a young man um, towards Spring Tree Apartments. Young man fell down. He got back up. At some point, the son said that he had a gun. At that point, the father shot uh, the young man in the back, even if he had shoplifted four bottles of water, which is what he initially took out of the cooler, and then he put them back. Even if he'd done that, that's not, that's not something you shoot anybody over, much less a 14-year-old, but you just don't do that. We're charging the um, owner of the store, Rick Chow, with murder. What about the son? I got some questions here that I want to pose for you because I think you will follow. 14-year-old goes into a store. According to the surveillance footage, he takes four bottles of water. What does that mean? That means he's thirsty. That means he's thirsty. He takes four bottles of water. He puts them back. There's an argument. There's conflict inside of the store. Why do you think the 14-year-old is running? If the 14-year-old is running, it would not be outside of the box to assume 
he has either A, been threatened, or B, he has been shown a weapon and was afraid. So he's running for his life. He falls at one point. Why does he fall? Because he's so nervous. He's a child. He's so nervous that he's unable to connect his mind to his feet. And he falls. He stumbles. And he's killed according to the Richmond County Sheriff's Office. Surveillance footage showed that Cyrus was not shoplifting when he was chased from the store. Sheriff's Office, Sheriff's Office also said there was no evidence that the teenager pointed a weapon at child or threatened him prior to the shooting. And Locke confirmed that Cyrus was running away from child when he was shot. Cyrus reportedly took four bottles of water out of the cooler, but then put the bottles back before arguing with child and leaving the store. Child's son chased after Cyrus, and Child then chased with a pistol. Okay. All right. Devaluation of life, bigotry, racism, the belief that it's okay to have a business and establishment in a particular community, but not value the lives of the children who exist in that community, who live in that community. This is why we do what we do at Indisputable. We want to bring not only awareness, but we would like to bring consciousness to it. We want you to have an absolute understanding of what's real and what you can do to change it. This 14 year old is dead. He's dead. He wanted water. If that does not jolt you, shake you to your core, as to what needs to change in this nation. Maybe this will. If Mr. Chow was a police officer, he would be getting a promotion next week. Mr. Jackson, thoughts? Well, I think that, you know, no matter how you look at this story from any type of lens, uh, ideolo ideological, political lens, cultural lens, whatever, um, as the officer pointed out, shooting somebody over water just is not necessary. Using a gun or really feeling the need to take someone's life or go that far with violence um, really isn't necessary or isn't even natural to feel unless you really feel like your life is threatened or you feel like maybe your loved one's lives are threatened. And obviously some water, anything that they may have taken out of the store, let alone the trouble that would come from it. It just doesn't make sense other than looking for an opportunity for that violence and looking for yep. an opportunity to let loose. And that goes into many issues that this country has. Um, and one of those huge issues is the ease of access to legal guns and how often these types of things happen with people who look at, you know, again, no matter what their ideological lens is, you know, if, if somebody's willing to just take their gun out and shoot somebody in the in the back over some water, then, you know, that that that's that's a huge issue there. And in two days or maybe tomorrow, there will be another mass shooting that we'll be talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, so and so many of those issues stem into the racism issues that you pointed out. So um, I think that this was, you know, as you pointed out, it's important to look at this from every angle. But four bottles of water just simply isn't worth that type of violence. Right. And the thing is, the irony on top of the irony on top of the evil 
on top of the racism is that he didn't steal anything. A couple shot by their own landlord during an argument. The landlord killed him, put up the picture for a mass. Hell of a story and so sad. A young, engaged couple in Ontario shot dead by the landlord on the front lawn after an argument over mold in the basement. They were renting a home from the landlord and according to the narrative, mold was in the basement and they confronted the landlord about it. That's normative. Carissa McDonald, 27 years of age, was an educational assistant at a local school. And her 28-year-old electrician fiance, Aaron Stone, were running away from the house when they were shot to death. The couple rented the basement of a home belonging to 57-year-old Terry Gerald Brecca, who lived upstairs. The couple got into a dispute with the landlord stemming from a disagreement surrounding issues within the house, according to Detective Steve Birizik of Hamilton Police Major Crime. Let's put up the picture of the crime scene. Uh, according to the reports, there was gunfire. Authorities were called. They went to the Stony Creek District of Hamilton, where the home is located around 5.40 p.m. Saturday. According to the sergeant, neither the couple nor the landlord were known to the police, which makes what happened a little bit more shocking, according to them. However, Tony Greenlee, a next-door neighbor, described the landlord as, and I quote, bad news, noting how he would often stand on top of his roof watching them. The harassment saw Greenlee build a carport to block his view. It's like we couldn't breathe in our own backyard, Greenlee told CBC News. It was, uh, I was terrified, Joanne Greenlee, Tony's wife, added, as she recalled the shooting. They could have, that could have been us. He could have gotten mad enough to actually get them uh, talking about shotguns out. I feel sorry for the young people. So young, a search of the home led to a recovery of multiple legal weapons. Once again, this is in Canada. Eventually, after shooting the couple, the landlord decided to barricade himself inside of the home with weapons that he legally held. The detective said the police spent a considerable amount of time negotiating for a peaceful resolution. But he opened fire on them. This was around 10 p.m. At that point, he was shot dead. The standoff ended in an exchange of gunfire with police, according to Special Investigations Unit. Once again, another uh, de devaluation of life. There's no value to a person's life beyond how you feel about them inside of an argument. I mean, you could have just evicted them. So now you have uh, the landlord uh, who decided to basically commit suicide when he shot at the police. And you have um, two promising, active, productive, and loving individuals who are dead because they complain about mold. I bring this to your doorstep because we can argue and debate the moment by moment or the case by case scenarios where we see permeations of evil 
of bigotry or violence. We can do that. And it's necessary, it's required in order to bring you these news stories. But there's an underlying issue behind it all. And that's how we perceive each other. How we perceive each other. And the way we perceive each other, according to psychologists, is the way we actually perceive ourselves. And so if there's a transformation dynamic, let it be that. That in order to make this world a better place for our children, our grandchildren, we have to start from inside, including me. Jackson, thoughts? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that, um, you know, whether you look at an example like this or anything going on in modern times or throughout history, it can be rather staggering uh, how we can treat each other over and over and over again. But on the flip side, it can be amazing how much love we have for each other yeah. and how good we can treat one another. So there's definitely a yin and a yang with it. But, you know, at the same time, just from another just from another angle, it's it's just, you know, this guy. Yeah, he committed suicide by shooting at the police officers, but it's just, you know, like some people really just have nothing to live for, I guess, um, yeah. or really have a difficult time of thinking about what next, what'll happen next, or, or just to be so caught up in anger over mold that can just be paid for, like you said, that could be evicted. But yeah, the human capacity, just human beings are just fascinating. We're, we're so many things at the same time. Yeah. And I will say this about the Canadian police. Remember, the call came in, Jackson, at 5.40 p.m. The uh, shooting did not happen until after 10 p.m., which means that they were willing to wait it out. They said, we wanted a peaceful negotiation. Uh, they already were aware uh, that this individual committed murder. They still wanted a peaceful surrender. They did not shoot until they were shot at. That's a policy dynamic that Canada engages in typically. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. A lot of show left. I appreciate every single one of you. Okay, Brett Campbell, aka dragging my ass. If Trump becomes POTUS again after all his crimes, including treason, America will lose all credibility and respect to the rest of the world. Well, it will lose more. Um, and I agree with you. Uh, he will be even more lawless than ever before, and the respect will be lower than ever before. All right, Tyler Hackner, Melania, what say you? It's a good point, actually. James Thompson, member for 10 months, thank you for that. Um, you have done good to and for us Dragons vet fan. Thank you so much, James, I appreciate you. Uh, Tyler Hackner, give the one indisputable uh, sub, well, thank you for that. Tracy Ravenhawk, member for 11 months. Love you all. Keep fighting the good fight. Love you back. Uh, Key Williams, member for 10 months. Whoop, whoop. Progressive Boomer, member for six months. Six months of Dr. Richard bringing me the truth. Thank you for that. Uh, Natural Born Keeler, gifted one indisputable membership. We appreciate every single one of you. All right. Got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're going to feel free! Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life.
Many of you will be shocked to know that I've never actually participated in a pageant myself. So when this happened, I thought, well, maybe that's part of a skit because that can't be real, right? Well, it is. Let's put up the picture full mass. I got the background, I got the foreground, and it still doesn't make sense. Pageant husband rushes on stage after the wife lost. Nathalie Becker, the runner-up to Varzia Grandes, Emanuele Bellina at Brazil's Miss Gay Mato Grasso 2023, who was in the process of being crowned when Becker's husband rushed the stage. He slams the crown to the ground and grabs Becker's hair, tries to pull her off the stage before picking up the crown and slamming it to the ground again. Event organizers issued a statement confirming that uh, Bellini was indeed winner and condemned Becker's husband the actions and announcing that he'd be facing legal action in connection with the incident. Okay. Um, yeah. So naturally, unwanted physical contact, well, that's a crime virtually anywhere you go. Uh, going on a stage, doing it not only in front of people, but doing it when you know that it's being recorded live. Well, that's entirely different. And I have to imagine if you're doing things like this because of, let's say, a pageant loss, I'm, I'm sure you um, wanted your wife to win, who would not? Uh, you may want to consider that you're putting way too much emphasis on something that at the end of the day does not define you, it doesn't define your wife, and it should not define your relationship. And I've seen over just my life uh, that there's a wisdom associated with keeping things internal. If there's conflict, go through a remedy that's available, maybe an appeal process. But in that moment, sir, in that moment, your wife was being graceful. It's part of the competition process. She needed comfort later. Not sure if you were able to provide that. All right, Jackson, <laughs> have you seen anything like this before? No, maybe not quite in the same setting, but uh, in, in, in different circumstances, yeah, I've definitely seen men act like little children and, and grown <laughs> women act like little children too, for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that dude ran up on stage faster than we even had time to see how his wife felt. As soon as the right. crown went on the other person, he just teleported up there, was like, <laughs> threw it on the ground. But the funny thing was, too, was like, because as you pointed out, if there was any, she could have took it like real gracefully and be like, well, I had a good time. She may not even been like upset about it for real. But uh, it was yeah. just funny to think about like the car ride home or like when they got home, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, that was, that was so attractive what you did. Like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, like, you know, mm, yeah. <laughs> and you, you never know. You never know what the conversation was afterwards, yeah. right? You just have no idea. Uh, but I will <laughs> say this. Typically, you don't want someone else defining your moment for you, whatever that moment may be, right? You don't want somebody else to define it. You want to define it yourself, even if it's not in the best of light, right? You want to define it yourself. And obviously, in that moment, he took it away. Okay.
anti-Karens unite. Get screaming and employees Get out of here. That's racist. Yes, it is. No, it's not. The United States doesn't have an official language, jackass. You know what? I wasn't going to say anything. I wasn't going to say anything, but I decided I want you to feel as uncomfortable as I do. And I want you to know that I saw your text messages, and I think you're disgusting. What text message? You know exactly what I'm oh. talking about. I'm not, I'm not going to repeat it because everybody doesn't need to know, but I want you to know that I know, I saw you, and I think that you're disgusting. You don't have anything to say to that, right? Yeah, I, I didn't think so. And, and speaking of, yeah, you, you should. And speaking of airlines weeding people out, maybe if they raise prices, you, you know, maybe you wouldn't be able to afford to sit with your family. That way they don't have to sit next to black people. Okay? Yeah. No, yeah, you're not, you don't have to be sorry to me. You're sorry because I saw it. But I want you to feel as uncomfortable as I do sitting next to you. Uh-huh. You should be. That, that last statement, okay, I am. Yeah, he's uncomfortable now. But when you go back and look at this, he says, what text? I mean, he was really calm with, like, what text? I have no idea what you're talking about. All right, so let me give you the scenario. Basically, passenger on a plane, she's settling in, she's getting comfortable, the guy next to her doing the same. She spots a word on the text message screen. Now, she wasn't looking for, hey, what is he texting? But something caught her attention. It happens. I have glanced uh, at somebody's cell phone before, unwittingly, not looking for any information, but maybe something would stick out. Uh, and this did, all right? So let me give you the background. Hell of a thing. An airline passenger was, uh, has filmed the moment she confronted a racist man after she caught him texting a complaint to his family about a member of his traveling party having to sit next to a huge black woman. Content creator, uh, Tyler Rouse, detailed the incident that unfolded during a four-hour Delta Airlines flight from Puerto Rico to Atlanta this week on TikTok in a series of videos. She said in a later TikTok, she was literally going back and forth with herself to decide if she was going to say something, adding her blood was boiling and she was fuming. She told DailyMail.com that she was conflicted but ultimately chose to speak up. This person settled into a seat after me and was adjusting quite a bit when I glanced down and happened to see their messages. One TikTok user praised the creator for calling the passenger out. I'm proud of you. I don't even know you. I know the back and forth with yourself on this was hard, and you did that, their comment read. Um, she also shared a video of the man texting on his phone before zooming in on the contents of the messages. We're still in the gangway. Hopefully the airlines will continue to raise prices and weed out these people. Brian is sitting next to a huge black woman, and there's a lot more. All right, uh, let me say this. You know, racism, uh, everywhere. A lot of people engage in the practice of it. Um, it's a bad thing. Should not be. I saw some of the comments. Some of the comments said she had no business uh, looking at his text messages. 
Well, he had no business basically making it available to the public uh, in the way that he was doing it. Uh, if you're going to be racist, uh, this is just a recommendation for the bigots in the world. You may want to try and hide the text message screen when you're sitting next to the person you're being racist about. It's just common sense. And the idea that somehow she committed a greater offense than him because she was sitting there, that simply says to me that people are okay. Some people are okay with that mental anguish she was feeling. I've been there before. I have been there before. And I'm gonna tell a quick personal story. When I was seven years old, I remember going to my friend's home. Now, at this time, I did not have a great understanding of um, cultural and racial dynamics. My best friend, in this, when I was seven years old, was a white a fight kid named Jimmy. Jimmy invited me to his home. I spent the night. It was Friday night, had a good time. Ate breakfast in the morning, got McDonald's. And as I went back into the room, I think to get a toothbrush or something, I went back into the room and somebody came to the home. It was his sister. She was probably in her 30s. And as soon as she came to the home, they opened the door. I'm in Jimmy's room, but I could hear the front door conversation. And she said, I hear y'all have an inward child at the house. And everybody laughed, including Jimmy. And I had no idea what to say, what to do, or even what it all meant. So I get that mental anguish that she was experiencing. A lot of black folk do in particular. All right, Jackson, thoughts here? Well, you know, like you pointed out, you know, if you're going to talk about somebody in any type of bad way, you got to be careful. You got to you got to check your surroundings. You know what I'm saying? Because you never know what somebody's going to do if they take offense. And she went back and forth with herself. Yeah. As she pointed out, you know, she may not have said anything. Um, but she, you know, she may have done worse than that. Whether she would attack you, and I mean, that wouldn't necessarily have been like a good thing for her to do. I'm not saying that she should have done that. Right. But you just never know, you know. So it's it's really just him being reckless. And then and then like he pointed out, he was like, "What text? I, I don't know." What to, like, <laughs> why else would she be saying anything to you? You know what yeah. I'm saying? So yeah. so yeah. But yeah, you know, like you pointed out, if you're gonna be a bigot or whatever else, if you're gonna be offensive then you know you got to be careful how you do it there you go all right trying to help out everybody i guess right you know yeah exactly all right we got more uh on the other side it's indisputable stick and stay all right welcome back a lot of show left let me read some of these amazing comments brighty bright eye excuse me 007 oh the male karen did a kanye west there you go. Also, uh, Led St. James. That was the most, oh, hell no, throw I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I'm laughing because I know exactly what you mean, man. Uh, C. Michael Henson. Thank you for that, C. Michael. Uh, this pageant seems like a small thing, but this is a direct result of the big lie created by Donald Trump after losing the 2020 election. Take the L. People don't want to take the L anymore. Why, why should people take the L when Donald Trump has led the way in how not to ever take an L? All right. And Nerdo Pythicus. Pythicus. I know I slaughtered it. I apologize. Comfort in rhetoric inevitably leads to comfort in action. It is the greatest importance 
It is of the greatest importance that we must at every turn make fascists uncomfortable every damn time they speak with and promote their ideology. I completely concur. Uh, I 100% subscribe to that model. All right, it's the only way to really eliminate it or at least make it so ineffective that the unpopularity of it becomes well void. All right. Okay. Alabama interstate, Alabama interstate signs hacked by racist white supremacist placed messages on the signs, put it up full mass. We got the story. When did this happen? Well, according to the report, Memorial Day weekend. Multiple Alabama motorists traveling on Interstate 65 this past Memorial Day were shocked when they spotted Alabama Department of Transportation signs hacked with white supremacist messages. Photos from social media show large digital signs that read Patriot Front and Reclaim America, I have more. One driver heading north on I-65 stated on Twitter that an Alabama state trooper waved me to go on. How does this come about? Is it an inside job kind of thing? It also said road work nightly or something on the third slide. And it was an actual work zone that followed. Weird as hell. Another motorist told AL.com that she reported the sign to a state trooper at about 1 p.m. A spokesperson for the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency referred questions to the Alabama Department of Transportation. John McWilliams, public information officer at Alabama DOT, West Central Region, said a contractor's portable message board on I-65 was hacked. A citizen alerted a nearby state trooper about the message, who then contacted Department of Transportation, Alabama, Big Williams said. The DOT personnel immediately responded and turned the message board off. No other message boards on I-65 were affected. McWilliams said officials plan to investigate how the messages appeared. All right, um, let's put up Patriot Front. Who are they? Those guys. So according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, Patriot Front is based in Texas. They are identified as a white nationalist hate group, which formed in the aftermath of the Unite the Right rally in um, Char um, Charlottesville, Virginia, that was on August 12, 2017. According to the Anti-Defamation League, Patriot Front is responsible for the vast majority of white supremacist propaganda distributed in the United States since 2019. It looks like they are collaborating, okay? It's a collaborative effort, it seems. Uh, once again, racism, racism not being at least treated, in my opinion, the way it should be. Where's the press conference, Alabama? Where's the, this will not be tolerated in our communities? Where's the cybersecurity agency of your state looking into this based on the forensics of what happened? Where's your collaboration, Alabama? Where's your united front against it? We won't get that. We will get a statement that says, trust me, it's under investigation. Jackson, thoughts? 
Yeah, and, and we'll get a, a light statement because, um, you know, they're so dependent on those votes. It's, you know, really amazing to see how much of a chokehold. I mean, really, it's nothing new, though, um, how much of a chokehold uh, the racist elements of this country have on the Republican Party, especially since Reagan's been in office. But, you know, it's just been uh, getting more and more extreme ever since time has moved on as our entertainment culture has expanded, and especially ever since Donald Trump won the 2016 election. Then, I mean, just, you know, uh, cordiality just went out the door. Um, so, you know, making a stand against people like this, uh, you know, the Reclaim America crowd uh, means losing out on votes because otherwise they're going to have to go a little further to the left, at least, and start appeasing the people, uh, you know, start appeasing the popularity, you know, uh, stop doing things like uh, passing six week abortion bans. All of this is connected because it's all stemming from the same base. So, and this is exactly why they won't really fight against Donald Trump either, despite the fact that they'd rather not have him there, the Republican establishment, that is, not the voters. But they won't do anything about it. Why? Because the voters are, are, are so in love with him. So yep. it's just the, the pit that they dug for themselves. And sometimes, Jackson, groups would do things like this to gauge how serious a government is as it relates to responding or reacting to them uh, criminally. Right. There's no criminal charge likely going to happen from this. If there is, I will update. But they gauge how popular they are in a particular state based on moves like this and how they um, how that state responds. A principal uh, tells a black student, a black child that basically, hey, you know, you got braids. That, that must mean you're a gangster. Right. You're in the gang. Let's put it up. Young man, okay. The parents of a seventh grade student at Calvary Baptist Private School in Slidell said, well, they were dumbfounded last week when their son, Dalen, he had a decision and he made a decision to wear a braided hairstyle, not a problem, it's cultural, but it was met with questions about him being a gangster by the school's principal. So Dana's mom, Ashley, spoke on the matter. Here's the quote. I picked him up just like normal and asked him, hey, how was your day? How did your friends like your braids? Ashley Thorne said of her son, Dalen, we're driving out of the parking lot and he said the principal pulled him aside today and asked if his braids represented him being a gangster. The Thorns, a black family of five who recently moved from Shreveport to the Slidell area, found the principal's question troubling. Braided hair, they said, is widely normalized and not an infraction against school policy. Uh, let's put up these individuals. The Thorns said they called Principal uh, Angeline Mesman. She, along with interim pastor John Brown, Refused to comment on the matter. No comment um, at the Baptist school. But here's a quick video of the pastor in his opening sermon. And I'm going to I'm going to say this is probably the reason you're not going to get a comment. Here it is. It's so exciting to be here this morning to worship with you. And it's great seeing the whites here today and my brothers and sisters in Christ. What? The whites. 
Uh, the next morning, the parent, the parents met with the principal, uh, met with uh, the principal Mesman in her office. Well, you know, we'll give you an update as the update comes. Hell of a thing. Um, let's do this. Uh, Jackson. Yeah. Braids, sir, if, if you went to that school, sir, I, I hate to say this, man, they may try to do something much, much worse than you, sir. Right, and I'm extra light-skinned. <laughs> I'm extra light-skinned, you know what I'm saying? I'm about as light-skinned as you can be, you feel me? It's summertime, so that'll help me out a little bit. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, nah, it's just the thing, you know, how to say I, I, I've known three black people my whole life without actually saying it. I mean, you really have to be so far behind in the times to think that something like that represents being a gangster. I mean, if it ever did in the first place, it, but at the same time, you know, like to think about like that type of style, like cornrows braids aren't really like super in style right now. You got to go back kind of like to the early 2000s, maybe even in the 90s for that. So like you just super far behind. Like the last time you ever saw, like you saw a black person anything was BET 15 years ago or something. And you just happened <laughs> on, to, just happened to be skipping <laughs> channels. You know what I'm saying? You caught your son watching them two two uh two three a.m. booty videos on BET. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but but nah. But yeah, she it's it, it's really still people out here like that in in, in places where. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, the, the majority of the country is still white. And there are a lot of places where there is not steep diversity. But yeah, that's just pretty ridiculous. You know, um, so in an audio recording. All right. So they had a meeting with them, uh, with the principal and the audio recording of the meeting taken by the Thorns. Uh, principal Mesman said she pulled Dalen aside to avoid embarrassing him. <clears throat> And said she wanted to know what his braids represented. I've never had a student wear their braids like that. I've had teachers personally come to me and ask about his hair and what I thought about it. Mesmer says on the recording, I'm seeing a lot of young people listening to a lot of rappers pushing for <laughs> drugs and doing things opposite of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I got to say this, um, Madam Principal. You know what else is opposite of Jesus Christ? Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. For the same measure that you use to judge one shall be used to judge you. That's in the Bible. It also says God is love, which means if you show love, you're showing God. And scripture is very clear. Do not cause one of these little ones to stumble. For one who causes one of the little ones to stumble, it would have been better for them to tie a rock around their bodies and throw themselves into the ocean. How about you like those scriptures, Madam Principal? All right. Knocked on the door, get shot, could have died. Okay. Remember the picture, put it up full mask. All right. So, Ralph Yarl, the family is speaking out over the Memorial Day weekend. Kansas City teen Ralph Yarl made his first big public appearance since being shot in the head last month. Let's put it up. If you recall, the incident occurred after the teen 
simply knocked on a door. He rung a doorbell, all right? He went to the wrong home. He was there in good faith to pick up his brothers. This was in Northland. He and his family were welcomed with open arms at the going, at the going the distance for brain injury, walk and run. His attorney said, and this was in a previous narrative, his attorney said it's amazing that his recovery has been so just so powerful and so quick. Let's put up the picture of the mother, her name is Cleo. So Raph's mother said, and I quote, it's heartwarming to see this kind of support. She continues, I pray the support is not just for Ralph. I pray the support goes a long way for everybody that is in this situation. But madam, your son opened up the door for a lot of people who are not aware of these issues, who are not aware of brain injury dynamics in the community. Some, some created by neighbors, cops, friends, and also criminals. She said the walk itself wasn't the hard part for her son, Ralph. They walked 1.5 miles and have been practicing for up to three miles. The difficulty came in facing a large gathering of people in public for the first time since the shooting. It was almost the anxiety for him, she said. Socially, it's still hard for him. So I'm glad he was able to overcome this. I pray that he will overcome most of his social hurdles after doing this. We're praying that he will overcome them all. Organizers of the walk welcomed the Yarl family with open arms because they know this support is extremely important. Every person's journey is different, said Robin Abramowitz, the executive director of the Brain Injury Association of Kansas and Greater Kansas City. But knowing that others have a sense of what you've been through makes a huge difference in someone's life. That's why so many others with traumatic brain injuries were ready to welcome Raph into their family too. Raph is still recovering from his injuries and likely will deal with the effects of his injuries for the rest of his life. An online fundraiser has raised nearly $3.5 million. The monster who pulled the trigger, Andrew Lester, okay? The man charged with shooting the young Jarl is due back in court this week. He has pleaded not guilty to several charges. And I wanna remind everyone it took a national movement before they arrested the man, okay? It took a lot just to get him charged. We shall see if he's prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. His grandson has already said, you know, dude is racist. Sharing thoughts here. Yeah, I hope the grandson's able to testify and yeah. this thing is able to be pushed through. You know, traumatic brain injuries are tricky things. It's a special community. I wonder if this young man were shot in a different part of his body, if he'd still have anxiety walking mm. into that crowd and not knowing who wow. who's there to hurt me. Yeah. It's that kind of crime. Yeah. His um his bravery mm. is to be mm. applauded. And remember, he's he's at the house because He's taking care of his siblings. 
because he's a responsible young man. All right, we're going to continue to follow the story, obviously. Update, the kid was shot by a cop because he believed the police would help. Well, he wants the cop to be terminated. Let's go to the video first, here it is. He said, said everybody come out with your hands up. I, then I came running inside the living room. It then, then I remember I heard the big bang. Then I just remember holding my chest. As he laid in his mother's arms, bleeding out from a gunshot wound, 11-year-old Adarian Murray was so convinced he was going to die, he began to pray to God and sing gospel songs. I think like, like I'm going, going to die. Tell, her, tell my whole family, tell my teacher, I say, I say I'm sorry for what I did. Darian's mother says he developed a collapsed lung and suffered fractured ribs and a lacerated liver due to the gunshot wound. He spent days in the ICU at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson needing a ventilator to breathe. It came right here. More than a week since the shooting, he is remarkably in good spirits, but says sometimes when he's alone with his thoughts for too long, he has nightmares. Sometimes I can see myself laying inside the coffin. I'm all my thoughts at night, my only ones. And sometimes I think people are watching me. But my main thought is me dead. If that officer was here, sitting right here across from you, what would you want to tell him, Adarian? Why did you do it? I could have lost, lost my life all because of you. I want you terminated for what you did to me. He's 11. Forced in a very adult arena. He's 11, okay? There's a cause and effect relationship with what we have permitted police to do by way of policy, by way of protection, by way of immunity, not holding them accountable. Understand, cause and effect exists. If drug dealers were not afraid of being arrested because they weren't arrested, there would be more drug dealers in the world. You see? If police are not afraid of being held accountable for making a bad judgment call and not valuing the life of the person in front of them, well, you know the rest. Put up the picture of Adarian Murray and his lawyer. The Murray family has sued the city. They've sued the police officers. There's a $5 million federal lawsuit now. Greg Capers, the officer responsible for the shooting, along with police chief Ronald Sampson and five other unnamed police officers are also named in the suit. 
CBS News request for comment from the mayor of the city, Ken Feathers, uh, Ken Featherstone, and the police officer, uh, spokes, the police spokesperson, Kedrick Wash, were not immediately responded to. The officials have suspended capers with pay, with pay during an investigation into the shooting. You see, as I have said before, um, trained detectives, police officers, sergeants, investigators, when someone in blue, when they commit the crime, all of a sudden, no one understands how to apply investigative prowess. There's ambiguity. But I guarantee you, you take that blue suit away, the individual immediately gets charged with a criminal offense. Jackson thoughts. Yeah, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, like you pointed out, if there's no price to be paid, then there's no change in behavior. There's no need to be, uh, there's no need to act differently. I mean, this guy's suspended uh, with pay, couldn't even be terminated on the spot for shooting a child. I don't see how under any circumstances you could feel like your life was uh, under any type of danger with someone who's just that much smaller than you doesn't instantly click. Oh, that's a little kid. Um, didn't come to the situation uh, prepared to ask questions or prepared to even survey the area to where you were that uh, anxious and that afraid that you just pulled the trigger uh, against somebody who's not even 10 years old. So, um, you know, he's very lucky to be alive. Very, very lucky to be alive. Um, but, you know, I think uh, the most important point that you uh, said is that if there's no consequences to suffer, if there's no price to be paid, then, not, you know, there won't even be any change in hiring practices. So mm -hmm. ultimately, uh, we really, really have to tackle this full force. Yeah. Well said. All right. Uh, brother, for uh, those who are listening, those who are watching, uh, if they would like to continue to follow your amazing career and content, how can they do so? Oh, yeah, it's always good to be here with you. You can check out my YouTube at youtube.com slash at politics and paper. I got streams going on daily. I got a show coming out. Well, next month is tomorrow, but uh, that'll be starting next month. I got a whole lot of things rolling out. So check me out at politics and paper. And it's always good to be here with you, good doctor. And I'm looking forward to the next time. Same here, dear brother. All right. The bullpen is next. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. A lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. We have Coffee Dragon Keeper of the Bean. This is so wrong, my heart hurts for this young man, talking about the young Mr. Murray. Um, Lynn, now we all have the same questions for that cop. Uh, that sweet soul should not have had to endure that nightmare. That's right. That's right. Uh, G. Martinez Mack, I found the principal's questioning troubling because they use the word gangster, what generation is this principle from? Uh, that's why you need diversity, equity, and inclusion classes. If the principal would have taken one, even the online version, this may not have happened. Uh, Detective Elijah, their ideology is basically just an excuse for their behavior. I'm talking about the um, principal. Yeah, I agree. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. He's back. In the bullpen today, we have Mr. Grayson 
Quay. Uh, he is the news editor at The Daily Caller. He is writing, his writing has been published in National Review and many others. All right. Good to have you back on the show, sir. How are you? Glad to be back. And I actually got a new title since we spoke last, ah. uh, and that is Dad. There you go, man. Congratulations. Thank All you. All right. Congratulations. My daughter uh, just graduated high school last week, so I got to settled into dorm life. So that's the new transition for me. You'll be there in about mm, 17 years or so. <laughs> All right. Okay. We're going to chop it up about uh, Ron DeSantis, at where uh, the governor of Florida decided to, uh, in an interview, say he's actually running against wokeism. Okay. Um, and so naturally, that does not speak to a policy, nor did he illuminate what it meant. I don't want to presume what you know or believe about uh, Governor DeSatan running against wokeism. So if you would, give us your opinion and I will opine. Well, look, I'm not a huge fan of the term wokeness. Um, this is a term that comes out of uh, black culture and specifically refers to becoming aware of injustices and inequalities within society. Um, and it's just very interesting to me that this has gone from the counterculture to being discussed in you know, these high level conservative symposia and on the Republican primary campaign trail in just a few short years. You see a similar arc with word based, which I've written about, which has been you know, largely co-opted on the right. So I don't love the word woke, but honestly, I have trouble thinking of a better word. And sometimes it can be a useful strategy in politics to group all of your opponent's policies under a particular, especially monosyllabic term, and then use that as a club to beat them with. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, if someone says, I'm running against white supremacist ideology, we basically understand what that means, okay? And we have concluded that, well, Yeah, it's anything racism, the left doesn't like. Say that again? It's anything the left doesn't like, right? Well. Let me ask you a question. Um, are you against white supremacy or for white supremacy? I would say I am against white supremacy. So when I say uh, a person is running against white supremacist ideology, you also mm -hmm. would agree that that's a good thing, correct? Sure, but I have also been called a white supremacist. So when someone says they're running against white supremacist ideology, I question whether they actually mean me. I, mean, I don't think I'm a white supremacist, but it doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what I got you, man. But you, I mean, you made it about me with. Well, you made it about yourself. I was talking about it in general terms, but my grandmama said a hit dog a holler. So what we'll do is come back a little bit, sure. and I will pose the question and reframe it. Um, when a person says they're running against white supremacist ideology, is that a good thing or a bad thing to you? Well, I need a definition of white supremacist ideology because we've seen a definition from the African-American uh, History and Culture Museum that white supremacist ideology means working hard, being on time. Uh, are these white supremacist ideas or is that just being good at your job? You see, this is why people call you a white supremacist. This isn't my right. definition. This is the African-American no, no. Museum of History I, and Culture's I definition. I, I understand uh, the point that you're submitting, but I would like you to understand the point I'm submitting. The question was specifically about your opinion about white supremacy. Now, you cannot submit your own opinion. You decided to submit the opinion of another organization. Mm -hmm. uh, and by the way, I have not fact checked what you said, so I can't go down that rabbit hole. But I can say clearly 
that the question was aimed at you about your feelings about white supremacist ideology. And instead of answering it in the good faith that it was submitted and giving me a direct answer from your own soul about white supremacy, you decided to duck, dodge, and deflect back to an African-American institution and their definition of it rather than your own. Do you I just want to know what is meant problematic? by white supremacy. Well, what do you think it means, dear brother? If white supremacy means that people with white skin or European ancestry are inherently in some way superior to people of African ancestry, then no. I disagree well, with that. I think it, that's an that's abominable ideology. Means, right? So, But if white, you want to say, if someone wants to say to me, hey, if you believe in showing up to work on time, you're a white supremacist, yeah, that's what can I say to that? You're gonna, yes, you're I gonna am. Keep, you're going to keep making a dumbass argument. Let me say this to you, man. I'm talking about real people. Real people understand real problems. There is nobody that I've ever met in my natural life who believes that white supremacy is coming to work on time. Now, damn it, I work every day of my life. I have more jobs than you do. I go to work every day and I'm on time. You know what that means? That means I'm responsible. It has nothing to do with race, has nothing to do with political ideology. So let's stop being children about the conversation. Sir, you are a grown ass man. What do I'm you sure feel? Worker, Dr. What do you feel? Over, I'm going to tweet that what link do at you. you. I'm going to tweet that link at you from the African American History feel? Culture Museum and I want you to retweet it. What do you feel? I ain't retweeting a damn thing you send to me. What do you feel about white supremacy? Once again, answer the question. See, this is why people get uncomfortable with this, because it's being used as a bludgeon right now. I already told you that the idea that people with white skin or European ancestry are superior to people with dark skin or African ancestry okay. is abhorrent to me. All right, if now, that let's is your go. definition of white supremacy, then we agree in finding white supremacy abhorrent. Now, there you go. Now, let's finally get to the wokeism part. <laughs> you said in the beginning of your commentary that wokeism or woke is actually a good term so that it can be utilized in a way strategically to uh, go after left-leaning ideology. You said that in your commentary to me, even though you agree that woke is an African-American term that means to be aware of injustice, <clears throat> to be aware of inequity. Right. But you were OK with the mislabeling of wokeism against against individuals who are good faith operators because it is co-opted or has been co-opted by the Republican Party as a political tool. You're OK with that political tool. But then you push back on what you proclaim to be a political tool as it relates to the word white or the ideology of white supremacy. Do you not see the irony in your own proclamation? Well, as I said, I don't love the word woke. I don't think oh, okay. it's, I think it's possible that there could be a better term for what we're fighting against. But you can't look at me and say this isn't a real thing. What is woke? Wokeness is usually used, as far as I can tell, to refer to kind of a bundle of progressive ideologies on topics, especially of race, gender, and sexuality. Okay. So um, would you consider, let's say, po police reform? That was a big Black Lives Matter movement. They wanted police reform, not criminal justice reform. I think everybody does, but police reform in particular. Is that woke ideology? Well, it depends who you ask. I mean, I've, you've seen people on but your own network, you. like Anna Kasparian, I'm who you. come out in favor of, you. of more no, policing. I'm asking you, sir, what do you believe? What I believe about police reform? I believe we need law and order in our streets. Do you believe those who engage in police reform movements are engaged in woke ideology or woke policy. 
That would be that would fall under the general definition of the term. Yes, I think racial, gender, and sexual liberation movements tend to always fall under that term. Let me give you a stat you may not be aware of. Uh, you can check out my information on NBC. You can check out my information via Gallup. You can also check out my information um, via Reuters. Ninety-four percent, ninety-four percent of Americans believe police reform is required. Out of that 94%, 68% believe that it needs to be either dramatic, meaning aggressive, um, or uh, more than it's being done currently in their own local city, okay? So the vast majority of Americans, Democrats, Republicans, independents, individuals that consider themselves to be non-political, they all agree at a tune of 94% that police reform is required. Now, well, you I'm curious on what these numbers would look like if you started getting into specific policies. Okay. You can often get huge majorities to agree to poll propositions that are very vague if you phrase them in the correct way. I'm okay. sure you could get people to agree to similarly vague pronouncements about law gotcha. and order or so you're saying, crime. You're saying the people polled were dumb. I'm not saying they're dumb. I'm just they saying just didn't know that what they were polling asking. can be. Large majorities of people said we should bomb Agrabah one time. You know, the fictional yeah. kingdom from Aladdin. Hmm. That's your answer. Yes, polling okay. is very malleable. Yes. All right. And and you're the Depending editor of you the ask Daily question, Caller? You can get large uh, majorities in favor of, of overturning Roe v. Wade or opposing it, for example, depending on gotcha. how you phrase and ask the question. This was what demonstrated about, what about, numerous times. What about numerous things? Well, let's get to a specific policy since you have offered that as your rebuttal. Uh, what about, this is a very specific policy, maternity leave. To extend maternity leave for mothers, uh, to make it more congruent with, let's say, you know, models that exist in UK nations. Uh, what would you say to that? Is that a woke policy to you? So I am incredibly pro expanding maternity leave, actually. Okay. Um, is it a woke policy, though? I wouldn't consider it a woke policy. Why but... is it not a woke policy? That policy is being led by the same individuals you just listed to me as being for police reform. Well, not entirely. Josh Hawley uh, and no, no, pro, uh... Nor is police reform entirely led. Well, look at this. Josh Hawley and Mitt Romney have both proposed uh, large child tax credits. Does that make Josh Hawley and Mitt Romney woke, for example? Yes, it makes them engaged in woke policies. Yes, sir. Well, all right, then. <laughs> all right. See how that works? Okay. I see where you're coming from here. All like right. I said, I not my favorite it. term, but it is fun to talk about. All right, man. You have a good day, dad. Okay, new dad. All right. Uh, remember, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.